welcome to episode 168 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Friday 22nd of September 2017. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at thefredcast.com. I'm the host and producer of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. For show notes, links, and other information, simply go to our website at the-spokesman.com. And now, here are the Spokesmen. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed of bikebiz.com, and you are listening to the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. No regular guests on the show today, but we're hoping to get a group of us together on Sunday. That is, if everybody has returned and recovered from Interbike. Now, the last show was an all-British affair, with a discussion of the divisive Alliston case, which concerns the rider of a break-free fixie who killed a pedestrian. This story has been major news in the UK this week, because Charlie Alliston was banged up for 18 months. The government has subsequently announced is to carry out a review of cycle safety, despite the fact it has so far dragged its heels on a wider road safety review announced more than three years ago. Today's show has a North American flavour. A couple of weeks ago, I returned from a trip to Canada, and while I was in British Columbia, I popped in to see Seven Mesh, a cycle apparel company based in Squamish. This small town builds itself as the outdoor recreation capital of Canada. I spoke with Seven Mesh CEO Tyler Jordan, and you can listen to that interview first. Following David's ad break, I then get to talk with Kyle Ranson, CEO of Showers Pass, a Portland, Oregon cycle apparel company. As you'll hear, there's actually quite a strong British flavour to this interview. Kyle may own an American company, but he's a Brit. Not only that, but he hails from my home city of Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the northeast of England. In fact, Kyle was born and raised in Jesmond, the Newcastle suburb where I live and start my bike rides from. Small world, hey? Now, let's get on with the show. So right now I am in Squamish, and I can be told later on whether I've actually pronounced that correctly. But I am in the the uh, the, the self-proclaimed uh, uh, Canadian outdoor capital, and uh, I'm sitting in front of Backcountry Brewing. is one of the the very very big buildings I can see. But I know there's a, a whole ton of outdoor companies and bike companies in town because it is the outdoor capital, and that attracts people who obviously want to do the fantastic recreation in, uh, in British Columbia here. Uh, but one of the companies who set up uh, in this, this fantastic town was Seven Mesh. And I'm with Tyler uh, of Seven Mesh, the CEO. And Tyler, before we kind of kick in, I've been driving along uh, the highways here, and you can see the Aboriginal language is on the signs. And I now know where Seven Mesh comes from. I did not know before I arrived. But the pronunciation of Seven Mesh is a guttural stop, Mesh. But I'm assuming you're not. Yeah, we, we pronounce our brand name Seven Mesh. And I think that um, we're, we're quite cautious when it comes to the use of our name and how we portray its origin where it comes from. Uh, we see it as being a, uh, a, a made up word. And it's a made-up word that's inspired by a name, a place, uh, a set of cultures and peoples that have lived in a wild and beautiful place for a long number of years. 
uh, and we want to show some respect to that. And so our, our name is kind of fairly unique, and it doesn't mean anything by itself. As you know, the word the Sebmesh doesn't have meaning in another language. Uh, it's just a set of European characters applied to uh, uh, the Aboriginal people's name for Squamish. And so uh, for us, we wanted to take a name that was inspired and showed respect to the people around us where we came from, but that was something new that we could fill with new meaning as we grew the brand. So even when I've looked on your website, I haven't seen this mentioned. You know, you haven't, you haven't talked about the backstory here of well, the, where you got the name from. I think that's true, and I think that uh, it's one of those things that we kind of let our name and logo, uh, we talk about it a little bit, but we also let it be a little bit mysterious and let people discover their own meaning in it. And like you said, you, you realize driving on the highway where the, where the name uh, was originally inspired from. Uh, that's something that we've had... We've had people that were driving up the highway visit us for the first time say, oh, now I, I understand where Semmish come from. And at the same time, we've had people that have lived in Squamish for years not make that connection even though they see those same signs every day. And so for us, it's, 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 it's a combination of something that's rooted in the past but something that's new and a little bit different. So that's where the company name comes from. What about the company itself? Where, where has Seven Mesh come from, the, the, the talented people you have here? Where have they all come from? Well, it's, uh, I'd say what's different about us as a small startup, or small, just post-startup, I guess, uh, is that we're, we are fairly experienced when it comes to making technical apparel. Um, uh, and because a bunch of us worked at the same company for a long time, there's some common connections there, and that's where our networks are, that's where we came from. So, Which company is that? Uh, I'm, the, I'm the former CEO of Arc'teryx. Um, uh, I had a long career there. I started when it was just a climbing harness company, uh, and very small at the time. And then I uh, uh, grew up and eventually became the CEO of that company. I spent a long term there, I think it was 17 or 18 years. And so that was a really great experience and with a wonderful brand, a wonderful group of people where we learned a lot about manufacturing technical apparel. Um, during that time, you know, I think, I think it's very fair to say that technical apparel has gone through a major revolution in the last 25 years. I think the quality of technical apparel for backcountry and outdoor use that you get today is, is leagues ahead of where it was two decades ago. And uh, for people to complain that, that innovation or R&D doesn't happen fast enough, I think they should go back and, and just go back in the time machine 20 years and see what it looked like. Um, but yet, while that happened in outdoor and started replicating in other industries, we almost felt like when we were cycling, that cycling gear hadn't progressed as much as it could. And so we, um, you know, after talking about it and complaining about it and, and uh, sitting around drinking beers and coffees and complaining about how nobody else was solving that problem, we finally decided that if somebody's going to do it, maybe we better do it ourselves. And so, uh, so I quit my job with the intention of going back from you know, I'd gone from small to big with a company, and I wanted to go back to small again. And so I quit with the intention to found a business, and that's what Sebmesh is today. And so there's, there's a few core members here, and we all have uh, experience in the outdoor industry and, our, and apparel industry, and are looking to apply maybe a different way of thinking about technical apparel and construction and performance and comfort management, and apply that in cycling. And so, you know, we're here to make a difference on the product side, uh, and, and, and the brand is kind of wrapped around reflecting that. It's all driven from a product. So passion. when was this, Tyler? When was, when was your foundation? We formed the company in late in 2013, uh, September 2013, uh, and then uh, took 18 months to develop and finish our first product, and we launched product on the market in March of 15. So though we think of the company as being a little bit older, we've only had product on the market for about two and a half years. Oh. So you, do you go to Eurobike instantly then? Yeah, quite, we, quite we, launched, we launched in Eurobike. So we, we made a few concrete decisions, some of which are different than what other companies were doing. So we decided that we would launch with men's and women's apparel, which is unusual for a lot of cycling brands that focus on men's first. Um, we decided that we would be mountain biking and road biking and, you know, and any other types of cycling we chose rather than focusing on one or the other because that reflects who we are as people. Uh, and we decided that we wanted to be a brand that, ha brand that had some global relevance. And by globally relevant, I don't necessarily mean big on a global scale, but we wanted to make products that uh, were appropriate for a culture and tribe of riders um, that wasn't just limited to one geographic region. So we decided to launch at Eurobike because we wanted to uh, start talking to people from and riders from all over the world to make sure we could start understanding and building relationships and, and ultimately build product and a brand that reflected a kind of a, a common global view of one way of looking at riding as an activity. So you were international from, from day one. It wasn't a case of build up in North America 
and then expand outwards, it was instantly you said we should be an international brand. No, and it was a, it was a very concrete discussion, dialogue, and decision to do that. And and frankly, I had some people that I I trust very much as a, as kind of friends and advisors in my network, and and asked them what they thought. And and I received some good strong advice from some people that said, hey, you should you should start regional, get really strong, and then expand from there. And other people that were more in favor of the global mindset. Um, we ultimately decided that if we ultimately want to have some global relevance, we might as well start right away because it's it's not a matter of us going to the globe, it's a matter of us learning from the globe. And so if we wanted to uh, learn and be inspired by cycling culture from around the world, we had to get started on that right away. And so our first trade show that we displayed at was Eurobike in 2014. So if I describe uh, this building we're in, uh, we have got uh, lots of jerseys, some classic jerseys uh, from way back when. Uh, up on the wall. I'm, I'm guessing that's personal jerseys from you guys. Yeah, a bunch of those are personal. Some of them, some of them are pro rider jerseys that have uh -huh. kind of come into our possession, signed jerseys and stuff. But some of them are more significant to us, and it's more to show where we were coming from rather than where we intended to go. Again, kind of about paying respect to the history and the culture and what's come before us, and just trying to add to the evolution of the activity. And then uh, elsewhere. So if I turn the other way, away from the wall, with, which has all the jerseys on. Uh, we have uh, like fabrics and we're, we're actually talking on a pattern cutting table and then above that we have, um, which I'm assuming, uh, Eurobike samples. Would that be right? That this is uh, your or is this old stuff? Most of the ones hanging up there are prototypes or, uh, or samples. I should be looking at this then. Oh, this, that's some of our older stuff, so it's here for the archive. Um, yeah, so what's, what's maybe a little bit different about this room than what you might find elsewhere, although it varies with every company, is we're, we're extremely hands-on on the product side. And, you know, we're, like every business, we have some, there are strengths and weaknesses, there are some things we're good at and some things that we need to get better at. Um, we are absolutely meticulous and driven when it comes to the product side. And so the company uh, is rooted in trying to make a difference, which means we need to control every aspect of what goes into our product. So what that means is that we do a massive amount of prototyping ourselves. We, uh, we start with raw materials, uh, in fact, we work with mills to help develop new raw materials. Um, we construct, build, put those together, develop new construction techniques, whether it's using a sewing machine or a lamination or an intricate set of uh, patterning techniques. Uh, and we figure that a lot of that out ourselves. So we spin rapid iterations in-house uh, before we work with our factory partner, which is extremely capable and adds a lot of value, but we bring them in later in the process when, to do the final commercialization. So when it comes to a seven mesh product being on the rack, it's not a matter of, of us having told somebody we want the product to be A, B, and C. It's us having absolutely defined that product down to the, down to the stitch count in every location on the garment of what we need to see to make it a seven mesh, uh, a seven mesh experience for, for the user. And, and that's just the way we are. That's the way we grew up. That's what we know and understand. And so we're much more um, aggressively uh, involved in controlling every aspect of what goes into our products, which is why we, um, you see that essentially we're sitting in a design room today as opposed to an office or a global headquarters of any kind. Uh, we want everybody fully embedded with the product experience and everybody, regardless of their role, contributes. And are you from here? I'm not from Swamish, but I've lived here much longer than I've lived anywhere else, so I call it home at this point. I've lived all over Canada, uh, but in Squamish I've been here for uh, a little over 20 years. And then everybody else is everybody. Are you bringing local people? Are you mostly? So, so I am. I'm. Fr I'm from Squamish in a recent sense. Mm. Uh, everybody that's in this room today is from Squamish. We do work with some people that aren't full time in Squamish on a part time basis. Um, one of our one of our core designers has a design studio in Vancouver, which is about an hour drive away, mm -hmm. uh, and he uh, contributes from there. Uh, but for the most part, we're local people um, because Squamish has actually quite a strong population of people that are you know, interested in outdoors, interested in cycling, and there's a fair amount of technical apparel experience in the region because we're located uh, close to some, some powerhouse brands in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Such as? Uh, Arcteryx, uh, Lululemon, uh, some uh, fashion brands like apparel brands uh, run by Ritzia, uh, and then some smaller brands outside of that. And so why is this a cycling town then? Well, I'd say that Squamish is, is a cycling town with quite a decent-sized cycling population, largely because of the terrain that we have access to. So we have a, a, a decent local road riding population. 
Uh, our road riding is good, but it's somewhat limited in quantity. So uh, people uh, head up the highway towards Whistler also or down towards Vancouver to kind of increase the variety. We have some good mountain climbs, we have some good rolling climbs, and we have some good flat stuff down in Vancouver. Uh, but where Squamish is really best known for is a, a world-class mountain bike destination. So in the kind of the history of mountain biking evolution, I'd say that BC has had, in, in my opinion, anyway, uh, three really notable kind of stories. And the first was the North Shore of Vancouver, um, which really introduced uh, the idea of extremely technical trails with drops and stunts and built-up man-made obstacles uh, to mountain biking. Uh, and then secondly, the Whistler Bike Park, which I think is pretty much recognized as one of the early and leading developers of a kind of mountain bike resort-based uh, philosophy. And then in between those two kind of things, Squamish has got its own character and has developed as a, uh, a, de a destination on its own for uh, less extreme than the North Shore of Vancouver, uh, but more natural trail riding than you find in the bike park in Whistler. And so we have a very extensive local trail network that's actively maintained and is growing quite rapidly uh, and have built a quite a passionate user base around that. And is that reflected in your, your SKUs? Are you more mountain biking than road or are you, how, are you, how are you split? Well, I think that's a fascinating question and it, we actually, this is again something that was really debated quite a bit before launch. Not whether we would do mountain bike and road and other cycling apparel, but how we would do it. And so we launched with a philosophy of just any two wheels. And and then, uh, sorry to any friends out there, but we jokingly said any two wheels, but no recumbents. And uh, and uh, recumbent guys are used to the jokes. I think they're, I think everybody's strong enough to take that. There's not many of them, so you're okay to. Yeah. So we okay. So we started off from the point of view of going like, look, why are we doing this? We're doing this as a passion play. We're we're not going to build a huge company overnight in cycling. We're going to do this because we think we can make a difference and we're going to improve the riding experience and have a lot of fun doing it. And so from our point of view, we said, well, who are our target customers going to be in this 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 effort that we're trying to make globally relevant. And so we defined our customers as people like us. And we're not really customer research kind of people. We're not really go out there and do a study and decide what the market wants. We more saw that there was a lack of certain things that we think needed to exist. And we created them for riders. And all of us mountain bike, all of us road bike. Uh, we have BMX racers, downhill racers. We have reformed triathletes in our midst. Uh, we have uh, athletes of all kinds. And everybody also happens to, you know, at some point of the year, ski or trail run or hike or uh, do all kinds of other activities you can do around here. And so we just decided that we were going to make apparel that was relevant for people like those, but it was designed to be worn on the bike. And so to get back to your original question of how um, we define ourselves and define our products, what we really realize is that what you wear on the bike is a lot more determined by the conditions that you're riding in than it, than it is determined by the type of bike that you're sitting on. And uh, somebody who's doing a cross-country mountain bike race on a nice sunny day is dressed up a lot like a road rider or a traditional road rider and somebody who's you know uh, road bike touring through the Alps for two weeks with all kinds of variable conditions and stormy weather uh, looks a lot like a mountain biker on a rainy day in Squamish and so what we originally did is we divided our collection although there's clearly a few pieces that are more bent towards road or mountain we, we divided our collection what we called seven day and seven hour and seven hour was done in a day missions, a little bit more stripped down, a little bit more leaner. You look outside, you know what the weather's gonna do. You, you have a, uh, an idea of how long you're gonna go for and you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a hot shower and, uh, and a hot coffee or a cold beer when you get back. And so those were more mission specific, less featured, really aggressively tailored for on the bike. Then we had the seven day collection, which was jackets that, which were more about versatility. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go on a road trip for two weeks and I want one jacket that'll do it all. And you need a, you want a hood so you can wear it around a campfire at night and you want pockets so you can carry your wallet into the grocery store. Um, and so we define our collection that way. And really what we see is that it's really up to the individual user and consumer. It's very hard to generalize. And that's kind of the beauty of cycling is it's so diverse with so many different people riding in so many different ways that you kind of need to give them choices and let them decide what's right for them. Are you catering for fatties as well as skinnies? How's your sizing is, is the question you know, there? I'd say that we would like to eventually accommodate everybody. Um, but starting off with a, a, a high performance, premium positioned, you know, we generally are selecting really high quality materials, which means they're expensive. We're generally putting them together in the best possible way, which was usually painstaking and expensive. And you end up with products that are the designed around improving your performance and you're having to pay to accomplish that. You know, our products are, are they're not all the most expensive on the market. And some of them are actually quite reasonable compared to some of the other brands that are out there. 
but there's definitely an element of quality and performance that you're paying for. And so what we ultimately ended up doing is we've accommodated a large range of sizing um, by having uh, a number of, you know, a large number of sizes, say six for men, um, but having them relatively close together and fit. I would say, generally speaking, we struggle as people get uh, significantly bigger. It's generally our stuff is fitting, uh, it's fitting people that are passionate riding their bikes really regularly, which is, means we're accommodating athletic fit, uh, up to a little bit less athletic for all of, the, all of us that ride bikes and, and work full time. Um, but if, if somebody's a bigger person, we have a bit of trouble at that end of the spectrum. And so we'd love to get there, we're not quite there yet. And ultimately we'll have products uh, that are kind of tailored uh, individually by style to be more appropriate to somebody that's taller or more appropriate to somebody that's shorter or more appropriate to somebody that's skinnier or somebody that's a bit wider. Um, so it's, it, it's patterned to be as accommodating as possible, um, but generally speaking, I'd say we're targeting the athletic end of the range at this point. So what are your Halo products going backwards and maybe your Halo products going forwards at Eurobike? What are you, what are you, what are you proudest of? What is, what is your leading products that you've done? And then what is your, your, your dream products coming up? Sure, I think, I think what, um, well, I'll tell you what's, vi what we're, what's visible that we're proudest of, and I'll tell you what's invisible that we're proudest of. Uh, what's visible that we're proudest of is that I think that we're bringing, I think it's pretty clear, uh, again, everything's my opinion, so sorry if I don't sound too humble in this. I appreciate the fact that other people might disagree. Um, uh, we think it's pretty clear that we're bringing a new level of outerwear performance to cycling. I think that there are, are, the difference between cycling and what I would say about outdoor, again, this is my own judgmental bias showing, but um, there's some really good products on the market in cycling um, from other brands, but there's a lot of really terrible products on the market that kind of cloud the picture. And so it's, hard, it's harder in cycling to pick out a high quality piece because there's so much stuff out there that doesn't perform. So when it comes to an overall outerwear offering, there's some good stuff out there, but there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't perform that well. It doesn't fit right, it doesn't work right, it's not as comfortable as it can be. And we feel like cyclists don't know that they should be demanding and expecting better out of their out of their weather protection apparel. So that's an area where we think, given our our our, our prior comfort and experience in making in making you know high performance outerwear, that that's somewhere we've made a difference. And a couple examples of that, our flagship jacket we launched with was called the Revelation Jacket. Um, and uh, the Revelation, in our opinion, sets a new standard for a piece that you can use for all purpose, uh, backcountry travel that's still lightweight packable because you love the protection that wasn't available in cycling. Uh, and then more recently, we launched a jacket called the Oro as kind of our new, uh, our new Halo product going forward, which is an extremely light, you know, 20 or 30% lighter than the competition using the same materials. Uh, weather protection Gore-Tex jacket that's designed for uh, ultralight compressibility and performance for road riders. So we think those, those are a couple of clear examples of us bringing something forward that just wasn't available previously. Um, on, the, on the more hidden side, I think uh, what 7Mesh fans have discovered but, other, but isn't commonly recognized yet is that we're bringing a new level of make quality construction and comfort orientation to our other products. So. We're using non-standard materials, non-standard construction, and some quite innovative ways of thinking in our bib shorts, uh, in our overshorts, in our jerseys, and in our layering pieces. Uh, and that's more of the focus of our expansion going forward. So we started off with an, an uh, I would say, an outerwear focus. And we did that for two reasons. One is that it, it leverages our personal strength, where we had a lot of experience in outerwear and could bring that to market fairly rapidly. Uh, and it matched up against what I described as kind of a bit of an industry weakness where a lot of people weren't doing great outerwear. So it gave us a chance to get noticed as a brand and get started. Um, but we think there's plenty of room for us to contribute to these other areas, which is why as we flesh out our line now and have like a more complete road and mountain biking selection for men and women, uh, there's a lot of diamonds hidden within the line that we're uh, just starting to tell the stories about now of new ways of uh, providing comfort to riders that just, don't ex that just haven't previously existed in cycling apparel. Okay, and where you are in Squamish is nice weather right now. It's beautiful weather outside, it's, it's boiling. But then presumably uh, later on in the year, you get some pretty severe weather. So your, your kind of philosophy is to produce apparel that protects you in four seasons because you've got four seasons, really, really yeah, severe seasons here. If, if you want to ride a bike in Squamish and you want to be a rider here, you have to you have to put up with a lot of pain sometimes, and that pain comes in the form of the weather in the winter. Um, 
Squamish is quite variable. We actually have quite beautiful summers, uh, and they can be quite long and sustained. Uh, that's what we're experiencing right now. It's been, it's been pretty glorious riding in general this summer. Uh, that said, we came off a very difficult winter where um, not only was there a lot of rain and cold temperatures, um, you know, hovering around freezing a lot of the time, but we actually got enough snow this winter that then consolidates into ice that, you know, uh, you don't really want to ride on the roads when they're that difficult at, uh, in the winter here. And when the trails are packed with ice, you can't ride there either. And so everybody, you know, hides inside on the trainer for a few weeks at least. Um, that, that scope of testing range and that passion to ride through all those different kinds of conditions is a huge influence on our line and how we approach it. Um, and so we, you know, we, we think of it as bringing an outdoor backcountry alpine climbing mentality to cycling. It's, it's you absolutely need to move fast and light and you need to stay dry. And if you get wet, you need to dry very quickly because dryness is the, is the key to comfort in, in a lot of cases. Um, beyond Squamish as well, BC is an awesome testing ground for products. So a lot of people don't know that the interior of British Columbia, you know, that everybody knows a lot about the rainforest and the big trees in British Columbia. And they don't know that if you go to the interior, uh, just a couple hours drive away, uh, we have, you know, what are technically classified as arid deserts, complete with rattlesnakes and sand and dust and, you know, 40 degrees C plus temperatures in the summer. So we have quite a range here, and I think that that's really imperative to us being able to form a, a product line that protects in a wide range of conditions. And where are you currently in the pecking order of brands? So for instance, Castelli uh, might get the first iteration from Gore-Tex of a brand new fabric and they get like say a, a one season exclusive on that and then other companies then can't get that fabric straight away because it might be the lightest most fantastic fabric you can get but a company will tend to get the exclusive on that so where are you in that spectrum of being able to get exclusives from these big brands who maybe think, well, you know, seven mesh interesting, but you know, they're kind of small. And, and so, where do you fit in to, into the into the ecosystem? Yeah, that's the uh, that's the reality of where we live as a small startup. And there are there are both uh, obstacles and advantages to being a smaller business than some of the bigger, more established competitors. Uh, when it comes to uh, uh, business making decisions. Uh, some of these suppliers have reasons why they make these decisions. And so if Gore decides that they want to uh, work with another brand partner on something, uh, our job is to find a compelling reason to make Gore choose 7Mesh the next time or to include 7Mesh the next time. And so, you know, the onus is on us to prove to the industry and to the people that we work with that there's enough value there that they should work with us. Um, we, we like to think that that the proof is in the results. And if you look at the materials that people use and you look at what they do with them, what they accomplish, and how much we invest on our side to bring new stories uh, and new performance and new ideas to the market, that's where that's where we have the ability to bring some fresh value um, because it's up to us to earn our way and to and to to build that trust with suppliers. I think that the in general though, um, I think a lot of the the raw material suppliers are are very comfortable working with us, very comfortable innovating with us. Uh, Gore has done some uh, cool things with us uh, uh, as a big company, and a lot of the smaller companies as well, they're looking to guidance from the brands as to how to deploy their materials on the market. So uh, what people don't realize is that a lot of these, these raw materials mills and manufacturers, these are people that are not core outdoor people a lot of the time. They're not core cyclists. They don't understand the activities to the depth that we do where you know, this is something that we're doing 200 days a year and getting insight into how to build better products. So a lot of that innovation capability on the raw material supply needs to be fueled by somebody on, on the brand branded consumer product side that can say, this is how to make it better, this is how to make a difference, can we tweak it to this, can we tweak it to that? And so where the raw materials vendors are very receptive to that, we're very closely with a lot of the brands to try and develop new things. And so that's where the, the Castellis and the Seven Meshes of the world uh, help bring value back to the raw materials manufacturer. It's not just by placing the order, but it's helping them engineer their product to be something that's relevant in outdoor, in cycling, and in these other activities. Uh, and there's quite a a robust and exciting dialogue that happens at you know at Eurobike, as you know, and at Innerbike, and at Outdoor Retailer, and at Outdoor in Friedrichshafen, where um, behind the scenes of people looking at products that consumers are going to see on the shelf one day, there's all the dialogue between factories, raw material mills, trim suppliers, color coders and dyers, and 
uh, and designers that are going around having separate meetings that are all about how do we engineer the products that are going to be on display here two or three years from now. And the brand is new and was founded, in effect, in, in a flat market. So if you've only been going a couple of years, you, you weren't back in the day when road biking was, was massive. You weren't there when mountain biking was massive. So you've, you've come in, in a stage of the market which is, for most brands, is actually, um, well, flat. So how have you been able to uh, get yourself in there when it's a flat market where, where a lot of brands are, are suffering? because of that flat market and then another company comes in, how have you been able to get yourself in there and how exactly are you doing at the moment? Yeah, so I'd say that that's a, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate for those of us that live in the cycling industry um, because we love it, um, but we all know that you're here because of the passion for the product and the activity. And, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, bankers or investors or financial advisors out there that are telling you that cycling is the next great market to get into right now because it is in, uh, saturated in some places and oversaturated in others and people are struggling a little bit. Um, you know, don't, the only reason to be in business is if you can bring some fresh value forward because everything is too competitive, everything is too crowded. If you do things the same way that everybody else does things, then, you know, then people have no need to give you a chance. And so the way forward is to bring fresh value. And so that's our intention is to, um, is to not do me too products, to not do, um, because, you know, no shops need to bring in a Me Too product from Sevmesh. They need to bring in something special from Sevmesh that tells their customers that their shop is committed to bringing in stuff that's at the forefront of innovation and performance. And if that's the kind of shop it is, that resonates with us. They see what we're doing and they want to be able to take that to their customers and say, here's something new and fresh and worthwhile that's going to change the experience for the better. Um, that's our kind of long-term secret is, it, is well, not much of a secret. Our long-term goal is to make sure people understand that they should expect better. And uh, I would expect over time, especially in the, the fact that it's a difficult market, that people will consolidate down to brands and products that, that bring something unique to that individual shop or to that individual customer. Um, and if you're doing things very much similar to the way your competitors are doing it, then you really need to have a really close look at how things are going to shape out in the next decade because it's going to be challenging. And you mentioned shops there. So are you a shop brand? Is this People should be expecting to see Seven Mesh in a high-end boutique bike store. With you know, they've got Rafa in the corner here, they've got Castelli on the other side, and they're going to have maybe Seven Mesh in there too. Or how big are you in for the the, the, the dreaded word omni-channel? Yeah, so we're um, we launched with both wholesale and B two C business to consumer. So we sell direct off our website, um, but we haven't been very focused on the B two C component. So um, you know. Keep in mind that while the world is changing and that omni-channel is important and people buy through different channels, uh, our team's experience is with wholesale. Um, we've, we've spent the last 15, 20 years working with great retailers to build compelling product stories and use the strength of those retailers that do a great job of bringing the right offers to their customers uh, to them and rely on them to tell their customers, hey, this new, this new brand 7Mesh is relevant, doing something cool. You can, tr you can trust them because you trust us. Um, that said, we do do B2C as well. It's a smaller component of our business for sure, uh, but it's growing as well, and so we'll pay attention to both. Uh, but we founded 7Mesh primarily with a philosophy of being wholesale driven. Uh, the difficulty there of staying purely wholesale driven is that, as you just said, it's a tough environment out there, and in a tough environment, um, dealers, you know, some dealers surprise me by not being willing to, as willing to take risks. So. Uh, I think there's a lot of logic that says in a situation where things aren't going exactly the way you want, you've got to try something new and you've got to figure out new paths and new ways to grow. Uh, some dealers uh, have accepted that and, we've, and we do a great job with them and those are the kind of people that, that uh, the Semesh is doing well with. Other dealers are a little more conservative and saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hunker down and weather the storm with the brands and the relationships I have now because I'm, I'm doing okay and I'm, I'm gonna, I want to continue doing okay. Um, and so, you know, our job, again, is to is to convince people that we've got something new and interesting and fresh and relevant that, that, that can be good for their business. Tyler, tell the world how people can find you and your social media channels. G give, us, give us the whole spiel of, of where you are on the, 
Sure. Well, mainly we are, uh, seven mesh is a fairly unique word, so Google is always your friend when it comes to things seven mesh. Uh, our website is www.sevenmeshinc.com, so that's number seven M E S H for seven mesh. Uh, we have uh, assorted social media channels under either seven mesh or seven mesh inc. Uh, and we have live chat on our website, which we do in between our day jobs. So if we don't answer right away, it's because we're uh, we're chatting with somebody from Bike Biz, or walking um, the the dog here. Yeah, or we're feeding Luna or taking yeah. her for a walk. Um, and uh, and you can reach us through Facebook. You can phone us. You can email us. Uh, and we love love talking to customers, consumers, dealers, everything because we're we're just excited to be here at this point. That's Tyler Jordan there of Seven Mesh of Squamish. And now, before we get uh, to the next interview, here's a wee ad break from David. Well, thank you, Carlton. And hello, everybody. Sorry to break in, but I just wanted to take a few moments to remind you of our show sponsor, and that is Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Now, Jensen USA is where you can get everything that you're looking for for your cycling lifestyle, whether it's a complete bike, a component, some apparel, shoes, tools, something for nutrition, you will be able to find it all at Jensen USA. And you will be able to find a huge selection of products at unbelievable prices with unparalleled customer service because that's what Jensen USA is all about. Jensen USA was founded by cyclists for cyclists and when you call them and you have a question, you talk to one of their gear advisors, you will be speaking with a cyclist, which means you know that you'll be getting the right product for exactly the application you are looking to fill. Go ahead and check them out. That's Jensen USA, J-E-N-S-O-N-U-S-A dot com slash the spokesman. We are extremely appreciative of Jensen USA for their longtime support of the spokesman. And we are also appreciative of you for your support of Jensen USA. If you haven't checked them out before, go do it right now. That's JensenUSA.com slash the spokesman. Thanks so much for their support, for your support, and thanks for allowing me to break into the show. Now, back to the Carlton and the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. Thanks, David. And for the second interview with a North American cycle apparel company, I spoke via Skype last night with Kyle Ranson, CEO of Showers Pass. Hi, it's uh, good to chat with you. Yes, uh, I'm about as English as they come, but uh, I guess those of you listening may uh, detect a hint of an American accent now. My accent's probably in no man's land at this point. So tell us about that, because you're actually from my part of the world. You're from Newcastle. I am indeed. I'm a Geordie boy from the northeast of England. Um, So so why are you in Portland, Oregon? Well, it's it's actually a funny story. I uh, grew up, obviously, in the northeast of England, went to university just outside London at Brunel University. Um, I was very fortunate. I um, had the opportunity to go traveling uh, around the world when I graduated. And when I got back, I was fortunate enough to end up working for a company called Compact Computers, which was, relatively speaking, a startup. Mm-hmm in the 80s and I was part of a bit of a rocket ride of success for the company. Um, Ended up marrying an American colleague and being transferred to the United States. Um, As my current wife will tell you, I'm a retread. Um, I did get divorced and remarried, um, but I've been living in the US for over 20 years now. So I can definitely hear some Geordie. <laughs> good. Maybe good. that's just because you're talking to me now, Kyle, but I can hear, you know, some twang there. So I'm guessing people in Portland, Oregon, they know that you're not a native. They do. Most of them, believe it or not, guess I'm from uh, uh, South Africa, which to any <laughs> South African would be mortified. Okay. So I'm assuming you lost a fair bit of your accent. So this is actually a, a mongrel version of what you used to have. Exactly. So carry on the story. Then uh, you, you, you're with Compaq, you've, you've been married and then you've remarried. And, and where does this fit in with you owning a cycle clothing company? Yeah. So um, again, I was, I was 
fairly fortunate. I ended up being a, a reasonably senior executive at Compaq HP. Um, so my entire career was in the high-tech sector, and I ended up being um, recruited to run a company in Portland, Oregon, uh, called InFocus, which was a projector company. Um, and I became a CEO of that company. It was a public company. Um, I'd always wanted to create my own brand. Um, and when I left InFocus, I was presented with an interesting opportunity um, to review a business plan of a company called Showers Pass. Um, and the, it's actually quite an amusing story. Um, the gentleman that owned the company at the time had uh, tried to get some investment. Um, and I was asked to look to see whether this was a, a, a good investment or not. Um, and I reviewed the business plan and said, no, you don't really don't want to invest in this. <laughs> it's a very typical uh, business plan, which is lend us a few million dollars and we promise we're all going to get very wealthy in a couple of years. Hmm. Well, first off, anybody that's in the cycling industry knows that it's not a get wealthy in a couple of years industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and secondly, the business plan was they were going to be spending all the money on salaries and things. Well, one thing led to another, and they asked me to, well, would I help rewrite the business plan, and then would I get involved? And I'd really been burned out in the high-tech space. Um, I'd always had a passion for cycling. I actually, um, funny story, started my cycling career racing for a, a little bike shop up on Westgate Hill in, New in Newcastle. The bike shop's no longer there. I think our only claim to fame as a cycling team was that we were racing back into Portland, um, Ponteland, Ponteland, yes. Ponteland yeah. uh, to meet at the coffee shop there, that, as cycling teams do. Mm -hmm. And um, the police were waiting for us and gave the entire team a speeding ticket. Oh, wow. That's that really was, nice. <laughs> it was exactly our only claim to fame as a team. As Which is bizarre because, because uh, cyclists can't be caught speeding because they're not motorized vehicles so that's that's strictly speaking you can't get a speeding ticket exactly but they were trying to make a point because on a sunday morning uh, almighty hell would break loose as we sprinted into Pontyland mm. to to get a cup of coffee at so the Kyle, coffee shop. give me some years here when when were you with compact when did you uh, get involved with with showers pass so I got in showers, involved in showers past about 10 years ago. Um, and, and at the point we got involved, it, uh, the business had actually been around 10 years, but the, the founder, a gentleman called Dave Morrow, who um, I'm still a good friend with, and he actually sits on, on the board, had started the business in California. And he was really the very, very first to take a very high-end technical fabric that was very, very breathable. It was actually an event fabric at the time and turn it into a cycling jacket. Um, he was a little bit ahead of his time. He'd actually started the business as a web-only business um, um, and was really running it out of his garage. He then got involved with some other folks and the business was relocated to Portland and they'd start to sell to uh, IBDs, independent bike dealers. Um, but there really wasn't a lot of infrastructure in place, no accounting systems. It, it was it was really a cottage industry. And so uh, myself and a few of the current employees that are still with me uh, saw the opportunity to take this thing and turn it into a, a real brand and a, a, a real business. And um, over the last 10 years, I think we've, we've done that and we've had a, an amazing journey and it's been a tremendous amount of fun. And, and it was Showers Pass when it was in California? It was Showers Pass when it was in California. It's actually named after a, a road that runs through uh, Northern California. There's a, there's a pass that's actually called Showers Pass Road. Oh. And there's a couple of rumors as to why it's called Showers Pass Road. One is the topology of, the, of where it is is such that it can be sunny when you ride into the pass and you can get caught in the rain uh, once you get into the pass. Um, but the other twist on the story is that the road runs over an estate that used to be owned by the Showers Pass family. So um, the, the story could be taken two different ways. I've always assumed, and here's, here's me leaping to conclusions, which I'm sure everybody assumes, 
because Portland is and, and Oregon gets more rain than than California no. for sure. No, I just assumed it was a play on well, you know, the showers will pass. Don't worry about it. Wear this good clothing. Exactly. So it was always it was a. So there was no double entendre there at the beginning. It was literally, that's what the, the mountain road was called. Absolutely, absolutely. No, wow, you're absolutely me. right. Everybody has, everybody has kind of connected the dots that weren't necessarily there originally. Mm. And, oh, yes, you do rain gear and it's mm. the showers and they go and you've still got your jacket on. And, and we're like, yep, sure. <laughs> okay. So that's basically what you, you've got to explain that every single time because I'm assuming virtually everybody assumes that. Yes, and it was, it was one of those... It was one of those fun things when I first joined. The, you know, I did have the debate and mm. discussion: should should we change the the name? Mm. Uh, I'd been actually most of my career at Compaq. I'd been a marketing executive, and so I sat and looked at this and said, you know, everybody I speak to, they say showers what, showers what, and then they repeat it three times. And after they've repeated it three times, they get it right and it's stuck in their minds. Mm. Um, so from a marketing standpoint, that's really not a bad thing. Um, so we decided to, you know, stick. And also I felt a degree of, um, loyalty to the original founder. It was his, his baby and his name. So I thought it was appropriate to keep the name. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and for those people who are not uh, familiar with, with the breadth of your brand, do you want to just Go through, you don't have to go through every single SKU, but give a broad brush description of what Showers Pass is and, and what you make. Yeah, and the, and for those of the you folks that don't know it, the, the Pacific Northwest is a, a very outdoorsy community. We're very fortunate. Uh, Portland in particular, I describe as, as uh, England with good summers. Uh, I mean, it really is. It's a beautiful, beautiful countryside. Mm. We've got rolling hills and mountains and, and beautiful cycleways, uh, but we do get gorgeous summers. But there's, there's, there's kite surfing, there's hiking. I mean, you name it. There's amazing camping. You name it. The, the outdoor activities for anybody who loves the outdoors, we're surrounded by them here in, in the Pacific Northwest. So... The way we, and it's, it's, it's a little bit of a cliche, but it's really true to the brand. The way we describe the brand is it's a Pacific Northwest lifestyle brand with cycling DNA, M meaning, you know, we started off with cycling. Everything that we do works on a bike, but more often than not now, it works just as well off the bike. Um, our top selling jacket now is actually called the Refuge Jacket. Um, and that jacket uh, works absolutely as well off the bike as it does on the bike. We have amazing waterproof socks uh, as, as an example. And um, I was sitting at my desk one day at headquarters and all of a sudden the, the door opened and literally this guy filled the entire doorway. He must have been six foot eight, um, 300 pounds at least, big, big guy. And he's like, I'm here for them. Some of them here waterproof socks. I was like, excuse me? He said, I'm a fireman. And I need some of your waterproof socks. Mm -hmm. And it just, it, that was for me a, a moment when I realized the brand had gone well beyond just the cycling uh, community. And, and that's fairly exciting for us. So we're, we're seeing folks um, use our stuff well, well beyond cycling. And, and where is your stuff available? And how big are you online now? And how big are you in in retail outlets? Um, we we have a significant presence online now. Um, I think the reality is in today's world, if you don't, you're in trouble. The the, the world has changed dramatically over the last five years. Um, we do have really deep relationships with some of the, the better independent bike dealers around the U.S. Um, and we're very fortunate to have very deep relationships with some of the best uh, outdoor retailers in the U.S. as well. There's one in particular that U.S. listeners will know is a company called REI. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they've been a partner of ours. We've been a partner of theirs now for eight years. And they're, and they're, kind, of a, 
they're a cooperative type. They, they are. They are a cooperative, really specialising in high-end outdoors. Mm. Um, and as they've continued to grow uh, across the country, we've grown with them across the country, and they've done an amazing job of getting our brand name out in front of folks that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to. Okay, and the UK, because your brother has been yes, indeed. in the UK, because your brother has been round to my house, okay, castle, and he he tells me where your mum was from, and where you lived as a child, and all that kind of stuff. So, what's the connection with your brother? Well, my my brother and I have been very close uh, all our lives. I think early on in this discussion, I said I was fortunate enough to go travelling around the world after I graduated. Well, that trip started off with my younger brother. Uh, We literally hitchhiked around the world uh, together. And somebody said to me once, wow, with your brother, were you guys not always at each other's throats? Mm. And my brother and I looked at each other and went, you know what? We were never more than 10 feet away from each other for that entire time. And there wasn't a crossword between us. Um, We just had a blast. So I'm very fortunate. I have an amazing relationship with my younger brother. Um, we just, we just get on exceedingly well. And so when the opportunity came to open Showers Pass UK, anybody who's, um, run a business before you'll recognize opening up international subsidiaries is exceedingly challenging trying to find the right people, uh, because trust is more important than anything else. And so when we decided it was time to open up a, a European subsidiary, um, I spoke to my brother and he said, hey, I'd love to. Um, and that really uh, took away that big number one issue, that issue of trust, because um, I have undying trust for, for my brother. And the fun thing is, is uh, we get to Skype literally every single day or every other day, uh, which is wonderful. And he's done an amazing job of getting seeding the brand in the UK I think we're still at early days in the UK, but you know our stuff is, as you'll appreciate, is exceedingly popular in the rainier parts of the United States. Mm-hmm. So it, it should absolutely be very, very well received in, mm. in the UK. And um, so it's fun to see that. It's actually um, quite a fun story as well. If one of one of the jacket, a couple of our jackets, we have a unique. A map pattern on the jackets uh, are highly reflective products, one called the Atlas jacket and the Odyssey jacket. Um, and that map is made up of uh, 11 different cycling cities from around the world, and we snuck Newcastle in there as well. Yeah, Portland, yeah. New York, Washington, D.C., Paris, Barcelona, Amsterdam, Berlin, Sydney, and Taipei. And and you promised me that there's some jasmine in there as well, which is the there is some jasmine. My 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 mum's house is on there. <laughs> Do you know I've got one of those jackets? Oh, cool! And it, it well, I've done stories on it on in on uh, on Bite Biz, so I think it's a fantastic story. The whole fact that there's so many cities on there, I have looked and looked and looked for where jasmine and where Newcastle could be, and I've haven't found it. And then when I've asked you, and when I've asked your brother, well, where might it be? You can't tell me because basically each jacket I've been told is bespoke. In effect, the pattern will change on it, every single jacket. It it absolutely does because we developed the what we did was we actually developed a, what's called a roller that they use for uh, printing on the the fabric. And the roller um, it was a project that I got way too into, and the map actually joins back on itself seamlessly on the roller, so there are no seams on it as it as it rolls out on the fabric um but the uh, as you'll appreciate when you're cutting out a jacket they use every last square centimeter of fabric and so there are no two jackets that are exactly the same which is quite fun because every now and again we'll get a request going oh can i have one in paris on the front please and we're like uh it's what's been fun is most requests that have come in like that by chance we've actually been able to to fulfill it but it's um literally we would have to go through every bag in in every box to find that but yeah every jacket's unique i've, I've been impressed because the, the retro reflective ink that you've got on there which makes up the pattern and then makes this thing you know pop at night yep. when a, a car's headlights or bikes very powerful yep. bike headlights hits it as well uh 
it, it, the inks, so the, the, certainly the first iteration of these inks, and even on other manufacturers, it, they rub off. And very quickly, certainly if you've got rucksack straps or, or you just yep. bend it and, and stuff it into a rucksack lot, it just ceases to become a retro-reflective ink jacket. But this one seems to be, it's just staying on. Is that just the technology, the, the inks that you're now using, just getting much, much more robust? What, what's, what's the story there? The, the inks are getting much, much more robust, but we actually went an extra step on the rolling process in the, we put a, a microscopic coating over the top mm. of the print as well, which helps secure the glass beads to the fabric because the, the ink actually contains glass beads in there, you know, which creates the reflective properties. Mm-hmm. And so we put a coating over that. That's not to say if you weren't to get a piece of sandpaper or glass paper and rub away at it, you couldn't get it to, to come off. And that's one of the reasons we developed a completely random pattern as well. So you could get a little hot spot where you've damaged the reflective and it doesn't destroy the aesthetics of the jacket. Mm. Mm. Well, it's a fantastic jacket. I do love it. I was wearing it this evening. And of course, when you wear a retro reflective jacket, you don't really get the full effect. No. You basically got to give it to somebody and say, right, go over there. I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to look what you look like. Well, well, what I look like from a lot. And then it's just, it just, it shocks you. Because when you wear it, it, you you never see the effect. You don't. It's hilarious. Because when we were in, when we were in development of this, you know, I would test them. Um, and there's there's a couple of versions of the jacket that we do. You have uh, either the Atlas or the Odyssey, which is the black one with the print on top. Mm-hmm. Um, the other version we do is where the background is actually silver and the matte print on top is just decorative. That particular jacket the, with the reflective fabric, the lumens are absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was testing it and I was walking the dogs one day at night and I was looking down at this jacket going, this thing's useless. It's just not working. <laughs> then I looked across and every single car that went by was staring at me. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> oh, maybe this is working. And, and you're absolutely right. The wearer isn't aware of how effective it is, but sure as hell, the cars or anything coming the other way that see you, it's like, wow, is this some sort of alien out there? It's, it's fun. Yeah, well, I don't ever recommend anybody ever goes out without bike lights at night. But when it has happened that it's come up to dusk and I haven't got a bike light with me, I do almost have that smidgen more confidence that I will be seen. Yes. In fact, as a pedestrian, in fact, I do. I will be wearing it in a minute to go and get my, my daughter who's at dance. And I will be putting that jacket on. And I know as I'm walking up the hill... Uh, which you'll know very well, uh, Benton yep. Bank in Jesmond. Nice. Then, then when the cars, the few cars I do come down there, they will see me from a long, long way away because I've got this this particular jacket on. Yeah, and and I think that's very important in that pretty much every piece we do, whether it's our backpacks, our shoe covers, our jackets, our pants, um, I don't think we've got a single piece that doesn't have some reflective on it. Mm. Uh, you know, we have some pieces that are very utilitarian, that, that are designed to be, you know, commuter jackets, and they've got a big band reflective on it. We've got other pieces that, from a design standpoint, are very aesthetically pleasing to the eye, um, and we've u- utilized the reflective material as more of a design accent, mm-hmm. but we've woven it into the product. So there's there's always that safety feature uh, in there that, you know, even if it's – even if it's only a little bit on our black jackets, mm-hmm. you pop a headlamp onto our black jackets and all of a sudden you light up at night. Kyle, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Uh, what we, we tend to do at uh, the end of these conversations, we, we ask the people who come onto the show uh, to give us their Twitter handles or websites or how anybody can get in touch with them. I'm assuming you'll give the URL for your website. We, we actually we actually have three um because we have obviously our dedicated UK site, which mm-hmm. is showerspass.co.uk. Mm-hmm. And our corporate site is showerspass.com. Thanks to Kyle Ranson of Showers Pass. And before that, thanks to Tyler Jordan of Seven Mesh. 
And of course, as always, thanks to you for listening and for subscribing and for waxing lyrical about this podcast on social media. You know you want to. You can get show notes at the hyphen spooksmen.com and that's also where you can comment on today's show or any of the others we've been uploading since 2006. This has been episode 168 and you've been listening to me, Carlton Reed. Until next time, which could be quite soon, get out there and ride.